You're listening to Understanding Amos. This is a short devotional series on the Four Oaks Midtown podcast where we look at the book of Amos and it's part of a larger project of making the Old Testament accessible. Uh, It can often be intimidating, but we want to make it a little less intimidating by giving you bite-sized, understandable teaching about it to kind of bridge the gap. So uh, if you're you know, on drive somewhere, if you're just going about your day, we want something you can just pop in your earbuds or AirPods or whatever you got and get some good Bible teaching for your day. Uh, last week, we, we looked at Amos 1 and 2, and we basically talked about one of the big themes of the entire book uh, is this message to Israel, repent before it's too late. Uh, turn away from sin, turn back to God. And so this has political overtones. Amos is a prophet saying to his nation, hey, you guys have broken the covenant, which is a legal agreement, binding uh, relationship with God, and God is going to judge you for it, right? So he's trying to warn Israel to turn away from their injustice, from oppressing the poor, from taking bribes, from, from committing all this sexual immorality, from worshiping idols, all of these things. He's saying, look, there's still time. If you turn away from this, your nation will be spared God's judgment. But one of the big things that we see in this week, Amos chapters 3 and 4, is that Israel is not going to relent. So if you want to think of the big idea, the big summary is Israel is God's rebellious son who refuses to change despite God's discipline. Think about Israel as a rebellious son who is just stubborn, doesn't want to change, and God is disciplining him, but nothing's taking, nothing's working. Uh, I think about whenever parents deal with a child uh, who has a drug addiction. Uh, They can take away his phone, take away his car, all these things, his privileges. But there comes a point where uh, all the discipline in-house is too much. It's not working. And they have to take drastic measures of of cutting off the, the child or kicking them out of the house. And this is the point that God is getting to. He's got to take some desperate measures. He's, he's threatening to kick Israel out of the house if they don't turn from their ways because he's been over and over again trying to discipline them, trying to warn them through the prophets, through various different uh, events in their lives, and they still aren't getting the message or rather refusing to get the message. So keep that in mind as we read Amos chapters 3 and 4. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod and to the strongholds in the land of Egypt. And say, assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults within her and the oppressed in her midst. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord, those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, an adversary shall surround the land and bring down your defenses from you, and your strongholds shall be plundered. 
Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and part of a bed. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord God, the God of hosts, that on the day I punish Israel for his transgressions, I will punish the altars of Bethel, and the horns of that altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. And I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, Bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that, behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks, and you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord God. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I set among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your men with the sword and carried away your horses, and I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you, as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel." For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. So there are three points I want to make here. The first one is that God has been exceedingly patient with his wayward son. Sometimes we look at the Old Testament and think that God is just trigger happy, ready at a moment's notice to smash people who sin against him. But actually we see that God has made Israel prosperous for many, many generations, for centuries, despite their constant rebellion. In fact, that's the problem. Israel has become so prosperous that they've become entitled. And entitlement is a terrible thing for children to have. They're assuming that, well, because we're God's covenant people, because we have the temple, because we have the law and the word of God, well, we're okay, right? But the problem is they're misinterpreting the fact that these things should actually cause them to have greater fear of God, that with great power comes great responsibility, or with, with uh, whoever has much more will be expected, and instead of being a nation of godliness, because of all the wonderful, gracious things they've received from God, they become a nation of entitlement, thinking that their special status is something that will always be the case. And God sends his 
prophet. A prophet is like a covenant lawyer. They're like a lawyer who goes back to a legal document and says, hey, you guys aren't holding up your end of the bargain. So Amos is a prophet, God's spokesperson, God's lawyer coming to press charges against his unfaithful people. And what we find is now that God, rather than being on their side, is actually against them. So don't look to the temple. Don't look to the fact that you have Jewish heritage. Don't look to the fact that you just have the Bible as a place of comfort. In fact, it's actually a place of judgment because God is coming against you because you've been so hypocritical. And he uses these pairs. He talks about uh, two people walking. He talks about a predator and a prey. He talks about a trap and the animal that it traps. And he talks about a trumpet against uh, signifying judgment against a city. These are all symbolic ways of showing that God is going to purify Israel from, from her idols. And he, and he tells them that he's going to come in judgment, in discipline, to try to prune away the evil ways of Israel. And what's going to happen, too, is that in God's covenant agreement with Israel, one of the plans is, or one of the, the, the purposes is to say this. Look, if you continue to rebel against me, I'm going to kick you out of the land. I'm going to exile you. And so the fact that they haven't been exiled up to this point, despite the fact that they're so full of sin, so entitled, so proud, is a sign of God's grace. God is so patient with his people. The second thing is that God is going to judge Israel, but he's not going to completely destroy Israel. There's this interesting imagery that he gives where he, where he talks about how God is going to be like an, an adversary, an enemy to Israel. But He's also going to leave uh, two legs and a piece of an ear left. So he says, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued. In other words, God is going to judge it, Israel, but he's also going to save a portion of Israel, right? Two legs of Israel or a little piece of an ear. And this goes to something important in the prophets. And it's this idea of the remnant. That when God judges with natural disasters or invading foreign armies, he never will completely wipe out Israel. He's always going to leave a small portion that's faithful to him. And that's an important part of Israel's hope. As long as there's a remnant of Israel, there's a future and a hope for Israel. And that's why the remnant theology is so important. And then he talks about uh, the days are coming, the day when he will punish, the day when he will bring judgment. And this refers to what's called the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord is an historical event in which God judges his people. And so there are many days of the Lord, but it's pointing towards a final day of the Lord when God will judge all people for their sin. So he's saying basically that God's going to bring in an, an historic judgment against Samaria, the northern kingdom of Israel. And in doing that, he's going to cleanse them from their idols. He tells them not to turn to, this, to, to Bethel. Bethel is a town in Israel, which is a site of gross idolatry. And in saying, don't go to Bethel, God is saying, look, when God brings judgment, you got to roll with it. You got to understand that this is God's way of purifying the nation. So don't turn back to idols when this judgment comes, but rather endure the suffering, knowing that God is doing a work. God is cleansing out the false gods from Israel. So he's going to leave a remnant and he's going to purify that remnant. Finally, Israel can avoid this fate by repentance. 
This doesn't have to be the end. They don't have to go into exile. They don't have to face the judgments of God. They can, in humility, repent. And this is why Amos aims his critique at the leaders and the elites of Israel's society, because they're culpable for their injustice. He goes after what he calls the cows of Bashan. This is kind of a derogatory term to the rich and wealthy women of the time who sort of treat their husbands like slaves and live entitled on the backs of injustice for the poor. They're living in indulgence. <laughs> I guess they're sort of like the Karens of their time, just just very out of touch people who are who are oppressive in many ways against the people who are less fortunate. And the judgment is that these cows of Bashan, these entitled women, are going to become slaves themselves. They who are oppressors will become the oppressed. They will be taken by Syrians and have hooks driven into their noses and pulled into slavery. And this is something that they actually did. <laughs> the Assyrians actually did this to people that they would enslave. And so they're, they're being punished for their injustice in a very drastic way. We also see God go against false religiosity. In other words, people are going about as if life is normal. They're going about in their riches, going to the temple, doing their whole song and dance about praising God, but their hearts are far from God. They are not being morally transformed by the truth, right? And there's sort of an eye roll by God. You know, which, which talks about how, uh, you know, how, how you love to do your free will offerings and your offerings of thanksgiving and, and your sacrifices every morning. Oh, you love to do these things, O Israel. And God's trying to say, look, you do all these external things, which I did command, but you're divorcing them from, from your actual moral life. And that's hypocrisy. Forget about all the religious song and dance. If you're not willing to be moral, godly people. Well, first of all, I see that. I know your hearts. And two, that's incredibly offensive to God himself. And so God says this too. He goes, but instead of crushing you, uh, I, I, I withheld rain. I sent plagues and blight. I multiplied your, your, your uh, military defeats so that you, you were defeated over and over again. I tried what I could to make you realize, hey, if you don't turn, things are going to get worse. He's going after the economic staples of the land, the things that they need. And instead of going, wow, we need to repent and turn back to God, they double down and they're even more sinful. They're even more multiplying in their transgressions. And it's leading God to go, it's inevitable. I'm going to have to judge you. I'm going to have to bring down the hammer. And that judgment came in the year 722 BC. That's an important date to remember because that's when the nation of Assyria enslaved and took over the northern kingdom of Samaria. And they were still separated from their Judah brethren in Jesus's day. So this is a huge turning point in the life of the nation. That they, because they're refusing to repent, God is going to kick them out of the land. He's going to place them under Gentile rule and he's going to do exactly what he said. This teaches us that history matters, right? We have a temptation to give up. We, we look at our culture, we get disappointed. We're wondering what's going to happen. And here is this sober reminder of, look, God sees it. He sees the injustice of the nations. He sees the injustice of all the people who claim his name and, and the injustice in the church. And he will deal with it. He will judge. But we shouldn't lose hope because there will always be a remnant. God will always preserve his church. Nothing will stand against it. And so we can have hope while also looking at the reality of human sinfulness and fallenness. So God has been patient. God will judge, but he won't wipe us completely out. And God is giving us a chance to repent. And the question is, 
will we take it? Will we receive it with joy? Joy.